I collect a lot of weird things in my purse. The other day I dumped it out and realized I was actually carrying about 10 masks, a whole lot of lipstick that I didn't even know was in there, and way too many pens and pencils. Every now and again I have to take stock of that clutter. I would say that looking back on 2020, March 2020 to March 2021, I have realized that there is definitely some clutter in my life that I need to deal with. I've spent some time over this last year and even over the last couple of months figuratively dumping out my purse. What I noticed was that until I dumped it out, I didn't even know what was all in there. I have definitely carried around some loss, some loneliness, some feelings of failure and defeat, and even in all of that clutter, I found some things that I really want to keep. Some things that remind me that the hurricane of the global pandemic has actually changed me, and in some ways, I am actually really thankful. Through this last year, I started a gratitude practice that has had its ebbs and flows, but it's something that has been very worthwhile. And when I look back on this last 365 days, that is definitely one thing that I will take with me and I will cherish. Those quieter and slower moments in the morning when I wasn't rushing off to work and to the gym. Those days that the global pandemic gave me to be grateful. This dumped out purse has had loss, yes. And it has had failure, yes. So much change, yes. It's also been a time for me to realize that there have been moments spent in gratitude. So I am putting that sense of gratitude back in my purse and I'm carrying that practice with me now. I felt so blindsided by the events surrounding the global pandemic of 2020 and I still remember exactly where I was when the voice on the television said that all of the schools were closed immediately. It was a Sunday night and I was preparing snacks and meals in the kitchen in anticipation of another busy week at school. My first reaction was that I was thankful my children were teenagers and old enough to handle missing out on school that next week. I knew that I needed to still go to school and work, and they didn't. I thought of many of my friends and colleagues who were scrambling around for last-minute childcare, my friends who were concerned about businesses and jobs throughout the last year. And I worried about how long the school closure would last. How long it would last. Hmm. I never thought that statement would be a recurring one in my mind over these last several months. Now it's been a year, almost to the day. If there's one thing that I have learned, it would be that life is unpredictable. We have all seen that for ourselves. And while our experiences in 2020 may vary from town to town, country to country, and person to person, I appreciate that there are some commonalities that give us a shared experience, albeit different, across the globe. You can live in Arizona, Tanzania, Canada, you can live in my little home of Lethbridge, Alberta, but people everywhere need community. We have all had feelings that we need to belong. We have that sense of belonging. And my safe haven has been my immediate family, my little family of four, our warm little home and our excursions to the coolies, to hop on our bikes, to run or to walk. I went to work, I connected over Zoom just like everyone else I know, and we found ways to be creative in chaos. Who didn't? But I still felt lonely. I still felt sad. I still felt deep 
loss, and I still feel it now. I recognize the upsides, the silver linings, the good, the positives, and all of the new things that I've learned that I am profoundly grateful for. But I do think it's important to look back on this past year and take some time for deep reflection, to name the things that just sucked, to pause and remember what life felt like before this storm ripped through our carefully laid plans, our hopes, and our dreams, and recognize that whether we are through the tough stuff or not, something happened inside of us. What was it for you? Because we are different now. We got knocked down, but did we get back up? For me, I, I find strength in my faith. I have always felt strength in my faith, and I know that is not everyone's experience. But what I hope you take away from this little podcast episode is that the whole you went through this experience, and the whole you matters. Not just your professional life or your physical health. All of you matters. All of you went through this crazy time, and it's the whole you that is worth reflecting upon right now as you look back on this crazy year. My guest today is a friend I admire for her giftedness in working with people, especially those who are hurting. She is caring, kind, and she has the gift of sharing her words and bringing faith and comfort into the conversation all at the same time. She is wise and thoughtful. She has brought her gifts and talents to the local church in Lethbridge over the past number of years and now moves ahead in her life using her recent training as a spiritual director. Pam Ukrainitz, I am so thankful for our conversation. You have reminded me that people need a place and they need space to talk. People still need to talk about this last year, what it has meant in their lives, whether we're tired of talking about it or not. Because talking through our stuff really matters, whether a year has gone by or not. For me, part of moving forward is naming that significance of the past. I am so appreciative of the time that Pam and I had where I spent some moments reflecting on some of the things about this global pandemic that were really hard and still are. And it matters to me to notice what has changed me. I also took a few few moments in this episode to chat with my teenage daughter about her experience with an intentional gratitude practice. I noticed it changed her and it has changed me. When I look back on this year, I will see the clutter and I will see the mess, the mental mess, the physical mess, the relational and social mess, but I will also remember the sense of gratitude and I will remember that I felt both so deeply. Friends, what are your snapshots of the last 365 days? Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you're studying and what you're thinking about in these days lately. Yeah, I, so I have been, I'm currently the uh, director of care ministries at a local church. And what that requires is essentially facilitating programs that support people in a grief journey in a divorce journey, and most recently, um, adding a mental health component to that. And I'm not a trained counselor, but I 
deeply value creating spaces to allow people to be authentic in the journey that they're on. And so even in the realm of mental health, I think people need a place to talk. <laughs> and um, so that's what it's meant to be. All of those pieces are supports. They're supports for people in whatever journeys that they're on. And um, most recently, I just finished studying spiritual direction through King's University up in Edmonton. And essentially, a spiritual director is um, someone just who comes alongside you and says, how is your relationship with God going? Kind of the same way, like, if you were married and you went for counseling, a counselor asks you, how's the relationship really going? That's kind of what spiritual direction does is comes alongside you and says, how's your relationship with God really going? And it is a space for people to say, well, it's great. And I'm listening for these things or I want, I want to dig deeper or it's, I think there might be a God and, and spiritual direction just intersects people in those kind of spaces. So looking forward to seeing what the future holds in that realm. Hmm, that is so interesting and so timely right now with that mental health piece as well. Um, can you kind of expand on what that looks like? I, I feel like there are probably even listeners who would be interested in what that looks like or where they could find more information or, or what that is all about. Because I think we'd be hard pressed right now to find somebody who says, yeah, I don't need any help right now on my <laughs> mental health and wellness journey because I'm doing great. Like, I just yeah. don't, I just think you'd be really hard pressed <laughs> to find somebody who wouldn't be interested in that. Yeah. Essentially. So the program is called Sanctuary Mental Health. And I latched onto the program because one of my favorite preachers um, is a gentleman who has walked a significant health, mental health journey. His name is Daryl Johnson. And he was part of the team that put the program together. And so when I saw his name in the curriculum, I was like, a radar just dinged for me that it might actually be something really valuable for us. And I'll be honest, Lois, I have my guard up often around church material and mental health because I think think sometimes the church hasn't always done a great job about making space for those conversations for validating the the journeys that people are on and I just knew if this particular teacher was associated with a program that there would be all kinds of space to be really human and there would be all kinds of space to talk about what does it really mean to believe in God when you're drowning in depression and anxiety and walking through schizophrenia or bipolar or um, he's just, he is a teacher that does not separate faith and what it means to be really human. And so that's how I came to the curriculum. And as I said earlier, I'm not a counselor but I think spaces to say what's really true about our lives are really significant in our journeys. And whether you're a person of faith or not, there is something about articulating 
what is happening to us internally and saying it out loud that almost like takes it out of ourselves and it's like dumping stuff out on a table and once it's dumped out you can like sort through the bits oh I want to keep that I don't want to keep that I really want to talk about this and um, I think it helps us focus to communicate what's happening in our lives and allows us to focus on pieces that we can actually manage. <laughs> I think sometimes when it's all in the same bucket and we're just looking into the bottom of our bucket going, I can't see the bottom, I can't find a way forward when we dump it out. And, you know, whether it's with a counselor or whether it's in community with a group of people that are wrestling with some of these same pieces, I think it helps bring us clarity. That's awesome. Yeah, this has been a very difficult year for so many people. And I think there's sort of that collective feeling of angst and that collective feeling of, you know, just like that loss of control and, and some of the emotions that all of those things bring. But what do you notice people are feeling maybe even now that some of the dust has settled because there's, you know, there was so much disruption and it feels maybe some bits and pieces we've gotten used to, but what have you kind of noticed um, people are thinking now? What's different now? Yeah, that's a great question. Some of it, I think, like I reflect on my own journey when the shutdown first happened back in March of 2020, there really was a collective sense of like, we can do this. We can like buckle down. We're going to be for each other. We're going to care for each other in this way. And um, this matters. These things that we're doing, like wearing a mask and washing our hands and um, staying home when we can, this matters because we're caring for each other. And I think the shift that I have seen is a um, feels like fear is taking root. And in that fear, we're tending to becoming, we're leaning towards being self-protective. We're, um, we're suddenly not so sure, can we hang on to the end? Like even, even us, like as I look at our kids didn't come home for Christmas our kids are healthy and safe in another province and they have support. And so I have much to be thankful for, but I am noticing as the distance in or the time lengthens between when we get to see them again and it feeling unknown, that set of that sense of angst that settles in for me. And I think there's a fear associated with that because I just don't know when it's going to be done. Mm -hmm. And with that fear, I think um, when it first started, we didn't know how much we would have to grieve. And I think now we have, an, we have a, a sense of, oh, we're, we're going to have to grieve these things. Like we don't, you know, there's times when you can just white knuckle through something, you get through it and you're like, phew, did it. Okay, done. Um, and I think as this goes on, we can't white knuckle it. And we're realizing that there will be grief if there's not already, um, that there'll be pieces of this that we're grieving. And grief generally makes people irritable. And I think we're seeing that everywhere. We're just seeing a lack of patience, a lack of <laughs> grace with each other. We become more determined about what's my right. This is mine and yeah. that's yours and back off. You know, like I, 
um, I, I feel like there's this pronounced irritability in our community as well. I can so relate to the idea of feeling like, okay, we're just going to get through this and then it's going to be done because I distinctly remember having gone through like surgeries and chemo and radiation and we were sitting at a soccer game and I literally think we may have had like my last radiation appointment up in Calgary or something and then drove back down to Lethbridge and, and came in just in time to meet a whole bunch of our friends and their and their children playing soccer with Carter and I remember everyone saying yay you're done and I had this heaviness mm-hmm. hit me because I thought yeah sort of like I'm sort of done like I'm sort of done the part where I get to live in Lethbridge again and and I'm not you know stuck in Calgary at the Tom Baker and yeah I'm done for now but I've got this heaviness that's going to sit over me for a really long time so I distinctly remember wishing that I was done but knowing that actually, there was so much more ahead of me that I had to navigate through. And Mm -hmm. for me, actually, right now, thinking about this situation, too, I don't even know what we're going to face. And I think we've dodged some bullets, you know, here in our home and with our jobs and with our family and with our kids. But is that going to change? Like, there's kind of this sense of where's the landmine? I don't I don't really want to walk on it. Where is it? You know, and I, yeah, I really do think that a lot of people are just waiting for that end point. And yeah. yet, I hate to say it, but the, you know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't conclude that quickly. Yeah. And it makes me, as you're talking, I thought of, um, I can't remember which Brene Brown book I read, but she talks about how when we don't have information, we fill in the gaps negatively. And there are a whole lot of gaps right now. And we do our tendency in relationship, (laughs) in culture, we just fill them in negatively, we assume the worst, and then we live into that. And I think I remember talking to someone in the last couple of weeks that she just said, COVID has convinced me that I am going to suffer alone. So I'm already isolated. I'm already being asked to do this thing to stay home. And I have this fear, like if I get sick, I'm going to have to suffer alone because nobody can come see me because we can't break the rules. And um, it, it reinforces that fear, like our longing for community and connectedness and to be a part of each other's stories. And yet it feels like um, COVID pokes that place of, fear of being alone. And and I think with that aloneness just comes this giant fear and realization of being disconnected. And I think mm-hmm. that so many people, well, I think, and this is my opinion, but I, I do think lots of people would use that terminology too, to describe how they have felt during this time, very constrained, very disconnected. And I think that's kind of the world that we're living in, like so connected on so many levels globally mm-hmm. in terms of what we can access so quickly on the internet and so many things that we can um, connect to virtually, but yet that sense of dis- disconnection, it's such, such a juxtaposition to be that connected and so disconnected mm-hmm. at the very same time. And I think without those community outlets like church and social groups, 
how are people finding connection right now? <laughs> like true connection? Quite candidly, there is a level of shame as I consider this question. Because I am married to a good man in a stable relationship. My home stability, a roof over my head is not dependent on, you know, I, it's not paycheck to paycheck. And one of our daughters is in university and actually lives, you know, in our basement. And that question of like, how do people stay connected is so profoundly challenging. And I'm like, who am I to say? <laughs> That's honestly how I felt this week as I sat with this question, like, who am I to say, oh yeah, do this and be connected mm -hmm. because I sit in such relational privilege right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I don't know that I have hard and fast answers other than I would like to invite listeners to a conversation. And I think the first thing that I would say to us is if you are in a position of relational generosity, <laughs> relational stability right now, I think the onus is on us to reach out, to knock on your neighbor's door, to email someone. If you're part of a gym, if you're part of a church, if you are go to a small grocery store all the time where you notice the same shoppers all the time, um, like stopping and inquiring. I think it's on us. Those of us that come from relational privilege to reach out. And um, so I think that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. I do think for all of us, there is a level of, um, who doesn't want to be rescued from this? <laughs> like, <laughs> we all want to be rescued. And um, I think particularly if you live alone or if you are in a relationship that is profoundly dysfunctional, you just want to be rescued from it. And um, I think it's important in those deep longings of rescue that people we can't rescue what we don't know. And so if you have been isolating further and further, which is often our tendency in stress and um, isolation, we just go further underground. And if you find yourself digging further underground um, to reach out, contact one person, let one soul know how you are doing. And it's a risk. I totally get that. It's a risk to say I have a need and I'm not okay. But people can't intersect you if we just don't know. Like, so I think um, that's part of it. I think having grace for each other in this journey is super important. Um, it's easy for me to say, reach out. But to have grace for those that like when the pit is so dark and you can't find up or down, it's hard to reach out. And so I think those of us that are not in that in the same depth, um, we have to have grace for those that are and be willing to go find them. Mm -hmm. And for those that are in the in the depths, um, 
to send up a flare so that we can come find you and have grace, have grace for people. Um, it's easy to assume that the world is only dark. We fill in the gaps negatively and to fight that sense that the world is only dark and that um, only darkness comes and to send up a flare and let us know that you're there. Mm -hmm. I think everything is so amplified right now. Mm -hmm. Like when you're lonely, it's, it's amplified when you are feeling discouraged that is amplified when you're feeling disconnected that's amplified and for me i've i've noticed like the clutter around me feels mm -hmm. amplified cuz i have to you know um like i consider myself i think a lot of people would say oh lois you're really a very organized yes, person you are. <laughs> it's like yeah sometimes <laughs> like but there are there's little things and big things in my life that feel like clutter that i have had to I would say attend to this year and there's been some work in that that I'm going to be honest I haven't really liked Re and for me it's been relational clutter it's mm -hmm. like I need to work on these relationships that I thought were strong and I feel like being around these people called my family every day mm -hmm. there's been you know there's been some really good times and there's been some amplified bad times and we've really had to kind of I guess really look at it um, and I've had to ask myself what am I willing to put in like what kind of hard work am I putting am I willing to put in to making this better to to working on these relational pieces that right now feel a little cluttery like there's mm. there's some selfishness that I think for me I kind of swept it under the like you know, a, a little of this selfishness, a little of that selfishness, and it's okay. And it just sort of builds up. And then when you're kind of faced with each other every day, you're like, I know for me, I'm seeing these things in myself, hmm. probably a little bit more clearly, and I have to deal with it. And I don't like it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put a little bit of pressure on us, you know, and you see what squeezes out. It's so true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh man, yeah, and and I think that's hard to talk about. And and you've said that like it is difficult to talk about. And when people are struggling, we do have to let someone know. It's better if we let someone know. It's better if we open the door to talk about some of these things. But it is still really hard because you got to walk over to that door, and you have to open it. And sometimes it just feels like if you open it just a little crack and send out a little flare, you might not get the response you want from the people around you. And I think mm -hmm. you're right. Those, those people who are in a place of privilege or relational privilege or some kind of, like you've said, stability or whatever, do need to pay maybe closer attention to those cracks in the door because not everyone's going to swing it wide open and say, Hey, Hey everyone, like I'm feeling yeah. really disconnected and lonely over here. Like it might be just that little itty bitty, you know, they just subtly sneak it in a conversation and we have to be attuned to that. And I say we, I mean all of us, because mm -hmm. I think that is something that collectively, you know, as people we need to offer to each other, but especially those who are feeling 
maybe a little bit more stable on a certain day of the week and can reach out to people around them. It's, I guess, I keep thinking about that website, I am second, you know, and it it talks so much about, like, I'm not first, I can't just think about myself first, I can't just take care of myself first. Like, yes, there's that sense of, you got to get your oxygen mask on, so you can help everybody else. But sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I think, we do have to think less of our, ourselves and, and more about the people around us because it is so easy to have tunnel vision. And I guess that just, that seems like a contradiction because we do have to, you know, we do have to look after ourselves. We do have to have that self-care piece. And, and you know, that is so important. But at the same time, on the other hand, there's that sense of we have to notice what's around us from the people around us who are needing yeah. needing needing us and I think Lois oh I'm like oh such good <laughs> such good words friend I um as you were talking there is this quote and I can't remember if it's Dallas Willard or John Orberg who said it but um if you want to connect with God you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and I remember when I first heard that quote and kind of sitting with that and it was shortly after that I had the realization I'm like if you want to connect with your family or the people that you love or that you say that you care about you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and I think that's one of the things that maybe COVID has forced us to do Um, Yes, it has applied pressure to relationships, but it has forced us to slow down because we can't do all the things. And I think there is a profound value in that slowdown. Um, And sometimes, you know, if you go into burnout, your body forces you to slow down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is this is collectively forced communities, cities, countries to slow down in ways that we haven't been forced to um, maybe since world war in a way actually and um it was at christmas time i was listening to a podcast and it kind of hit this home for me again um and so i'm sorry i can't remember which it might have been kurt thompson i'm not 100 percent sure but um The quote was that it takes 14 seconds to imprint joy for a synapse to form in our brain. It takes 14 seconds of exposure to that joy or gratitude experience for it to imprint, like make a path in our brain. It takes three seconds for a negative experience to imprint. But the pace that we live at, like when you think about 14 seconds and you count it down, it's actually a long time. (laughs) and so like to stay in those moments that reinforce relationship and build bonds between people you have to slow down to do that and I think this change in pace I mean I've not been good at it it feels like when the shutdown first happened I was busier than I had ever been I was like on my laptop all day long trying to connect with people, like create the safety net for people. It was so busy. But um, I think it has, like we have a university student or daughter living in our basement. And, you know, when I went, started slowly to go back to the office, she was like, I just miss you. I just miss that you're, you're around. And we, 
we developed a bond because there was a slowness to life that just couldn't allow you to do anything else. And all connected to this idea that our relationships are under duress. And we actually have to practice, like we have to practice the joy that we want to see in them. Otherwise negative, those negative thoughts, negative emotions, they just take over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and hearing you talk about that pace, I mean, oh my goodness, I am so, so convicted of that, just that, mm -hmm. that we have been as a family, and I've said it before, and people have heard it on this podcast before, but honestly, we were kind of mindlessly busy, I want to say, mm -hmm. because there was this sense of we need to do this, we need to do that, and oh, we can't, we can't stop doing that, oh, we need to do this, and we need to do that, and I I don't think there has been a huge slowdown for us. I mean, when I think about it, my husband Cam and I have been busy for years and years and years and years. And mm -hmm. this year doesn't feel like it doesn't feel not busy. <laughs> like it still feels yeah. busy. But, but there is something about the pace that has changed. There's something about the dinners at the table that are happening more often. There's something about... Um, for me personally, what's going on inside my head and my heart, even if I am not, you know, living this out necessarily exactly the way I would want to, because my family still sees me doing busy things. They still see mm -hmm. me recording podcasts and editing podcasts. They still see me, you know, coming home late from work. Like they still see all of that, but there's still, there's something going on inside of my head mm -hmm. and my heart where I'm really looking at the pace and I'm thinking more, um, I, I would like to say mindfully, I'm thinking more mindfully about what mm -hmm. am I doing and what state am I in? Because I think my, I think my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health, relational health, it's all kind of taken a bit of a beating over the last several years. And not just because of busyness, but just because of choices and also just because of circumstances. It hasn't been super easy um, for us. But yeah, I'm taking stock and noticing some things. And that has been changing my mindset because what is my goal? Like what, hmm. what is my goal with what I'm doing? What do I need Great to be more question. intentional about? And I know that I have some deep questions about, um, you know, what, what kind of effort am I putting into certain friendships right now? What kind of, um, what kind of goals do I have? that I want to act uh, you know every evening when I come home from work after a long day like there's some getting back to uh, that sense of gratitude and finding space for my spiritual health I'm in the midst of asking a lot of questions and there's sort of some house cleaning to do in my mm. life that I've been noticing and and like I said I, I don't think that's easy I don't think that I necessarily like it but I'm probably not the only one who feels like after this little hurricane, there's a, there's a bit of cleaning up to do and not yeah. even just after it, during it, during it. <laughs> yeah. We're still in it. <laughs> yeah, totally in it. And I, yeah, as I, 
I think that question of um, why and what are we doing and what are we focused on and it has really brought those pieces to the surface and you are not alone in that I would say I'm like oh yeah like how do I want to spend my time how do I want to mark others what kind of presence am I carrying with me and um so my friend Glenda she was part of a leadership class in the last couple of weeks and um she has this quote on her, I think it's in her office anyways, out of that class. And it says that we must pay exquisite, exquisite attention to the quality of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And man, that has just sat on me the last, <laughs> the last week or so. I, that sense of like, I, what I carried away from that was what does it mean to be an exquisite listener in someone else's life? And really interesting, like you will talk to counselors and psychologists, they will say anywhere from 75% to 85% of movement that happens in counseling session is based on the quality of the listener. Actually has very little to do with like how much information they give to the person who comes for counseling. Um, It's deeply connected to the therapist's ability to listen. And I I was like, honestly, like what would happen in life if we really just listened to each other um, more significantly, created more stillness and space for that. Um, and maybe that is something that is growing a little bit out of this or could grow out of this. My family would be the first to tell you that one of my qual one of my greatest qualities is not listening. <laughs> they would they wouldn't say, "Oh yeah, she's an amazing listener." But I've really been working on it, and I've really been trying to be more intentional. And actually, it's funny because doing this podcast, I find that I really am working on my listening because I can't see you; I can only yeah. hear you, and. <laughs> I like I'm probably listening to this podcast what we talk about now I'll probably listen to uh, I want to say probably like 12 to 18 times and and not all of it like in one chunk yeah over time some pieces and some parts get listened to over and over and over and over again and I know that's not exactly the same as in the moment however I am letting a lot of this sink in and I do think about it again later and I think about when I listen to myself as I'm editing I think about how did I respond to that question and what did I say and why why did I do it that way and how can I do this better next time and I it actually is a really good um, activity for me to be working on my listening and sometimes you know I have to think about the fact that Sometimes I listen, but I'm thinking about what my response is going to be as I'm listening. And I have to be really careful about that because not everybody wants to say something and have their hmm. problem solved right away, right. which I like to do. I love to be yeah. a problem solver. Um, not everybody wants a word of encouragement or an idea for how they could do something. Sometimes people just want to talk and they just want you to listen and yeah. and I'm really working on that 
that doesn't come to me supernaturally because what comes supernaturally to me is to be more of an encourager and I have to yeah. I have to slow that side of me down a little bit. And um, so often it is kind of hard to create some of that stillness for listening. We do fill our lives with a lot of noise. And I think there's a lot of negative noise out there. And you were talking about social media. And I think that's, that's a really good example of a lot of negative noise. And I, I think how are you getting out of your head these days and thinking positively even though the world is kind of filled with negative noise right now? Yeah. Uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is I am saying thank you. Thank you to the people in grocery stores. Thank you to the souls that hold the door open. Thank you to my daughter when she unloads the dishwasher I'm just trying to say thank you. Um, I think it shifts me into a position of receiving, that there is something for me to receive. It's not just about get through the day, make sure I'm efficient, do my tasks. It's about um, receiving from another person. And so I'm trying to say thank you. <laughs> um Another thing that I'm trying to do, and this came from my spiritual director, is just to name the gifts. And disclosure, I'm, I, I feel things deeply and they will, it will squirt out my eyes. It just does. Whether I'm like <laughs> incredibly happy, really angry, <laughs> deeply sad, <laughs> just squirts out my eyes. And um, what my director said was like, how about you just like pay attention to those tears instead of just feel embarrassed that they're there, pay attention and note the feelings that are behind them. And in that, what happens for me is that sometimes I'm like, oh, I, a tears come to the surface, but it's like because of a joy. And then I get to name that joy and be like, oh, that actually was a really good thing. Or that there maybe is a sorrow. And I think like we have to name our griefs. We have to name our angers for us to actually bring them out to a place where we can go, okay, I'm angry. So now what? How do I move through that? Um, do I feel offended? Do I need to offer forgiveness to someone? Um, like I think paying attention to that has, and that's, I just, under the category of naming the gifts, um, what are the moments of the day that I felt something deeply in and kind of digging a little bit what's behind that. And again, that takes time. Like when we are going through the day at warp speed, it's really hard to name the gifts in the day. And um, so trying to do that, I make a tool that I, and this came out of my spiritual direction program, there's this little prayer called the prayer of examine and it literally like I have it on a sheet, <laughs> like put it beside my bed at in seasons. <laughs> and uh, it just is like four simple questions, you know, like, and it, you can, honestly, you can look them up online, Google prayer of examine and it'll give you questions to use. And it just makes you like stop at the end of the day. Typically is when you would use it to reflect on the day. And one of the 
big pieces for me in that is it helps me recognize where God has been in my day. And I think even when you are a person of faith and feel a certainty that there is a God, um, we all need to be reminded that maybe he was in our day somewhere and it grounds us a little bit. And that little prayer of examine helps me do that. I think um, I, one of the other things that I have been practicing in this season is lament and just saying how much I don't like or how angry I actually am or discouraged I actually am. Um, they, I read this quote in the fall that um, Jesus did not bring answers to the graveside, but he brought tears. And for me, that just was an invitation of like, oh yeah, you get this. You get what it is to want something different. You get what it is to wish that your friend hadn't died. You get what it is to feel abandoned. And so lament has been a place for me to just really um, be honest before God. I think um, if we grow up believing we can only say the nice things to God, eventually when life gets hard, we quit talking to him because mm -hmm. there isn't always nice things to say to God. And um, so lament has been one of those things. And I think I might've mentioned to you at some point earlier, like one of the big things that I learned in my program was how profoundly loved I am by God, that that is the primary position of me before him every single day. And like even more beautiful is that is the primary position of every human every single day is how profoundly loved by God you are and that there's no place that you go in your day that he's not there and kind of practicing a remembrance of that. Like I grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. I totally thought, yeah, I'd, like, I remember when we were talking about the love of God at school, I was like, yeah, I got this, can write a paper on it, grew up with it, fine, done. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And I had mm -hmm. no idea the unraveling that God would do in me and rebuilding to remind me how true that that actually is, that my, the most important thing for me to know when I come to him is that I'm loved. That has been a piece of stability and peace and profound joy for me um, in the last year, really significantly. So I'm very grateful for that. The COVID context puts a whole nother layer on top of an already kind of broken world. Yeah. Put this really weird layer on top of all of that. Yeah, you had used the world word earlier, amplified. And I I mean, just speaking for myself, I think one of the voices that has been amplified amplified for me is the voice of shame. Um shame is such a liar. And it silences us, you know, when we are convinced that there is no way forward. We're convinced that um, there is no way that tomorrow can be any different than today because we are too much of a screw up. Um, mm -hmm. Shame just silences us. 
I, I recognize there's things I need to kind of shake out of my life and look at, like you have explained at the beginning of this conversation, looking at them, naming them, and then figuring out what am I going to do with these pieces and mm-hmm. where do I need help? Because we can't figure it all out by ourselves. We can't. And there is something about talking to the people around us, finding people around us who we can trust and being vulnerable in those relationships as hard as it is. I think that's a good place to push ourselves to go. Yeah. Amen. Good words, friend. here right now with my daughter Amy Van Roon and Amy is 15 years old and I wanted her to join me today to talk about something that was important to her from March 2020 to now March 2021 and throughout this past year she started something called a gratitude practice and this was really important to her and it was also important to me and and we had spent some time in the mornings doing that together and Now I can officially say that I have had every family member, my immediate family, Cam, my husband, and my son Carter, and my daughter Amy as a part of my podcast, but that was also really important to me because when I look back from March 2020 to March 2021, I know that those three people have been very influential to me in different ways, and when I think back to this time, I will remember very distinctly this shared experience that Amy and I had of doing a gratitude practice together and just spending that time in the mornings when we would have normally gone to the gym together, um, just kind of having some peaceful time to ourselves to do a gratitude practice. So I invited her here today because I wanted her to share her story of how she started the gratitude practice and really how she does it and why that has been important to her. So Amy, can you tell us just for those who may not have this kind of gratitude practice in their life, how do you do, how do you do your gratitude practice? Okay, so how I do it is you get like a notebook, you can get whatever kind of notebook you want. Personally, using a notebook is a lot better than just doing it in your head because you really like think about it and it starts your day off like right And so how I do it, you just get a notebook and you're going to write five things you're grateful for in the last 24 hours. So it can be like the sun shining through your window or something like that. And then you're going to write 10 dreams that you want to accomplish in the next 10 years or so. And you write it as if you've already done them. So if I wanted to be a doctor, I'd say I am a doctor. And then you're going to write the, the last thing you're going to do is write the first dream you're going to accomplish first or the first goal. Okay. So going back to the piece about the five things that you're grateful for, how did that help you or did that help you? Like, did you feel like there was anything different by doing that and and spending that time in your day doing that gratitude practice? Like why was that important to you over this last year? Uh, Well, over this last year, there's a lot of things going on, obviously. And everything was mostly out of our control so 
the thing that really helped me was focusing on the little things in my life that I can be grateful for. And starting off your day with that really helps just kick off a positive start to your day rather than just thinking about all the negative stuff going on. And yeah, it was really beneficial. And so looking back on this last year, if we can just kind of think about if you were to do a gratitude journal that kind of reflected the last year, what are a couple of things that you feel really grateful for that have happened between March 2020 and March 2021 or or some experiences that you might have had um, that you wouldn't have had if there wasn't a global pandemic? Uh, while doing the gratitude practice and I think also spending a lot of time outside. Also seeing Carter's Backyard Ultra Marathon, that was really cool to see how people come together to support somebody for a team like that. That was really cool to see. And just, yeah, spending lots and lots of time outside. We ran a lot, biked a lot. So yeah, it was, it was good. So last question, Amy, why do you think gratitude is so important? Uh, I think it's important just as we can always be thinking about the negatives in what's happening in our lives or around the world. It's really important to think about our positives and what we do have amidst the struggles. So it was really important for me to just always be thinking about what I was grateful for. And it really made you think about the little things in life. And yeah, I was I really enjoyed doing it. I really appreciate what you said about the little things because I do think that focusing on some of those little pieces and sometimes they seemed insignificant, but over time looking back on those little things really did kind of change my outlook on life and my outlook on the global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Amy, thank you for sharing with us today. You're welcome. And thanks Thanks for for sharing in that gratitude practice over this last year too. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Plan B Leadership in Life podcast. I'm your host, Lois Van Roon, and I just want to take this time to say thank you so much to all of my listeners for tuning in to this podcast, for sharing it with your friends and family, and for also giving me such positive feedback on how much you're appreciating these stories about leadership in life. I want to thank my guests, Pam Ukrainitz and also Amy Van Roon for sharing their stories of lament and gratitude and for taking that time to share our stories with one another, taking that time to listen to stories of others. I just want to thank both of them for being a part of this podcast. And I hope you as listeners, when you look back at this last crazy 365 days, you'll have many snapshots of so many positive things and the ways that you have been positively impacted and how you've changed. Thanks so much, and we'll see you again on another episode of the Plan B Leadership in Life podcast.